We're good? Okay. Thank you very much for um, allowing me to come and share with you today. Uh, it means a lot. And um, I was looking on your website and saw Matt's... Uh, so am I allowed to call you Matt or is it Pastor Matt? <laughs> Pastor Matt. His... Uh, his little um, bio about how he met Angela, and I like to take credit for that. I was, I sovereignly put them together. God used me to put them out doing worship together, and so this is kind of a reunion, having them do worship, and now I get to open God's Word with you. Uh, some of you look like young adults. Others will pretend for this morning. And uh, all the fellowship pastors were at the convention, so Matt had to get an AGC pastor to come and come and talk today. Actually, I grew up in a Fellowship Baptist Church, and uh, so the heart pews and uh, cool lights bring back a lot of memories, and uh, two of my uncles are Fellowship pastors, and so is my father-in-law, and uh, so I feel at home today, and, uh, and so thank you. This morning I want to talk about um, hope, living hope. A living hope as a noun, but living hope also as a verb, uh, something that we do. I, uh, I don't know about you, but there's this verse that I've known about for a really long time, and, and, and often God does this. There's a verse that, that, that we have, and we see it through a certain lens, or we put emphasis on a certain word or phrase uh, to the neglect of the other. And sometimes what ends up happening is that verse can become so lopsided that we, we can miss the totality of that verse. The verse I'm talking about is 1 Peter 3.15. Does anybody know that verse off by heart? It's a test. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. Now, I've always leaned to the always be prepared part in that verse. It's an apologetic favorite verse, right? Always be prepared. And so I study and I read books and and websites and listen to speakers and and I carry tracks in my car and I'm always ready to give an answer for why I believe in creation and not evolution, why, why I believe that God can be three persons, but one God. Why bad things happen to good people? Always prepared. But it's kind of like actors who write an acceptance speech for winning an Oscar, but never win. Do you ever wonder what happens to those speeches? Do they get framed? Do they get tucked away for next year? It's kind of like the Super Bowl. You notice they always have the hats and shirts ready to go? as soon as the winning has happened in a sports event? Do you ever wonder what happens to the clothing from the other team that didn't win? Like somewhere out there, there is like a whole series of Buffalo Bills Super Bowl trophies or or shirts and hats. They've probably been donated, and there's kids running around Africa with these non-winners of shirts. Always being prepared can be kind of like that if we miss the second half of that verse. The second half of that verse is to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. 
Peter is saying through, through the Holy Spirit here is, is he's saying that people should be asking you for the reason, for the hope that you have. And that's why you need to be prepared because they're going to ask you, not because you're going to knock on their door. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not because you're going to get into a debate with your friend or your family, but because people will ask you for the reason, for the hope that you have. And it got me thinking, what's the context in which people would actually ask for the reason, for the hope that we have, that we need to be prepared to answer? Well, the whole context of 1 Peter is about suffering. Not studying, suffering. Though if you're a student today, the two can be synonyms sometimes, right? <laughs> suffering. Actually, verse 14 of chapter 3, and I think, I think we're looking at, like, in your pew Bibles there, 1,015 or so, uh, 1,014, something like that. Chapter 3 kind of alludes it to this, and, and actually repeatedly throughout First Peter talks about suffering, but even in the context of these, this short little verse that we know so well, verse 13 says this of chapter 3, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And down verse 14, or 17, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So the context of First Peter, and there's many verses we could look at in First Peter, the context is, is immense suffering. First Peter was probably written mid-60s A.D., okay? And so if you know your Roman history, this is around the time of Emperor Nero and, uh, Nero and uh, the fire that took over Rome and that he actually used the Christians as a scapegoat. And so Christianity, while was growing, at the same time was being severely oppressed. It wasn't a popular time to be a Christian. And the Apostle Peter is writing probably mostly to Christians who are in Rome, though verse 1 of First Peter tells us that it's to elect exiles, so people from all over that have been dispersed. And so many scholars believe that this letter, though written to the people in Rome, was probably um, intended to go out from Rome and dispersed to all the churches in Asia Minor during an immense time of suffering. Today is Remembrance Day, and Remembrance Day is, is really a different kind of holiday, isn't it? We get a statutory holiday, at least a lot of us do, on a day where really there's not, it's not exactly a happy day. It's a solemn day. And not to take away from anything that we remember, the year after year, the things that we are remembering, what it costs to give us the freedoms that we have, are still going on in this world today like never before. Hatred hasn't disappeared. Wars are still rampant. Slavery is, is abounding, though not in the way that we would recall it or think of it. 
from southern states, but slavery over the world today is more prevalent than ever before. Pornography is out of control. The abuse of children, the disintegration of families, and you're like, oh, thanks, Jeff, this is great. Christians around the world are being persecuted for their faith. I love that video of South Sudan. Part of the reason there is a South Sudan is because North Sudan is primarily in the control of fanatical Islamists. And to be a Christian in any part of that region is pretty much a death sentence. And so we remember today the cost of our freedom, but I would argue we meet on Sunday because every Sunday is Remembrance Day, not just November 11th. This is a freedom way beyond our civil liberties freedom from our sin, as we sang and talked about today, a freedom from the decay and the bondage of this world that seems so ever-present, but in reality is temporary because of Christ. So in this world of, of suffering, and, and, and by all means, as Canadians, we, we have it so good. But at the same time, If you've lived life at all, you know that there are many dark days. Days of loss of a loved one. Days of a struggling marriage or the loss of a job or a wayward teenager or uh, studying in a program where you have no idea what you're going to do when you graduate. And so often we approach these dark times as, as, as God, get rid of it. Make it go away. Solve my answers. Give me a response. Give me these things. And, and First Peter's message to us is that it's during these times where a hope that is often hidden by the good things in life gets a time to shine. We kind of think of it like this. In hopeless times, that's when true hope shines. And I know that rhymes. I didn't mean it to rhyme. It's still true. In hopeless times, true hope, real hope, shines. It's an opportunity to come to the surface. So what does living hope look like? What is it surrounded around? What is it based on? And, and, and how can we demonstrate that in a real way, not in a manufactured way, but in a real way? How can we leverage the dark times of our lives that God allows to come in? How can, how can the hope that we have in Christ come to the surface during those times? What does that look like? I think the beginning of First Peter gives us some of the answers, and that's where living hope comes from. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at this little passage together. And I think there's three main things that we can get out of this out of God's word, as for hope for today. Three things that we can be doing to, to bring or to leverage the living hope that we have in Christ uh, to the surface, and so that people will ask us, and we will be prepared, but people will ask us for the reason for the hope that we have. So let me pray, and then we'll look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we live in the country that we do. Uh, By no uh, act of our own, uh, we've been born here or have come here as you've sovereignly orchestrated. And 
Lord, we get to reap uh, the benefits that come um, by the sacrifices laid down uh, by so many. And so we remember today. And Father, as we look into your word today and as we remember uh, the ultimate sacrifice that was laid down for the ultimate freedom, that of Christ, we pray that you would help us to uh, rekindle uh, the hope that is found in him, that our lives might be filled with hope and, and demonstrate hope, reflect and shine hope uh, to a world that is so hopeless. And so be with us now as we look into your word. Would your spirit illuminate these words and apply them to our hearts and our lives? And may we be found obedient, uh, putting into practice uh, what you would have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me, if you haven't already, to First Peter. And we're going to be looking at the first nine verses. First Peter starts like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him, Now you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So as I said, Peter's writing to uh, Christians who are being persecuted, who are suffering for their faith, and living in a time of great immorality, great persecution, great emperor worship. And they're swimming against the tide, and they are paying the price for that. And he writes to them about this living hope that is theirs. And and the first thing I would like to say is that Peter is telling us here that one of the ways that the living hope can be demonstrated in us is as we speak out with praise for the resurrection of Jesus We speak out with praise for the resurrection of Jesus. See, the reality is is that our living hope is living by the very fact that the one who is our hope is living. Sounds like a tongue twister. Follow me for a second. Our hope is a living hope. It is alive today because our hope is in one who is alive today. Do you notice that in verse 3? It says, Blessed be the God... And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul actually, he just says, Jesus, our hope. Done. 
No, he goes on to write a whole letter. But you could stop there. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then, then we are to be uh, the most embarrassed and, and pitiful people on the planet. But he goes on to say that through Adam, a sin came to all, and death came to all. Through Christ and his resurrection, life has come to all. And he finishes that great chapter with, where death is your sting. And that's why I say every Sunday should be Remembrance Day. If there's one bad thing about Easter, it is that we only really celebrate it once a year. Every Sunday. It's the reason why we worship on Sunday instead of Saturday, right? Because he is risen. If all Jesus ever did for us was die on the cross and rise again, he would be worthy of our praise and talking about that event for eternity. And yet in dark times, especially, we can lose sight of this glorious truth that our hope is alive. Why? Because the one in whom we have hope is alive. We can have hope in so many things. And I work with young adults and, and the hope, the hope, everything is ahead, right? The career and the house and the car and the, oh, God willing, and they pray and they try, the spouse, (laughs) right? And the children and everything, everything is ahead. There's just so much hope. But then after that, what? And along the way, I'm getting a bit older and and hope kind of changes, And I I know to a lot of you I don't seem that old. I'm only 33. But again, perspective, right? But as we near the end of our lives, which could be at any moment, what are we putting our hope in? Is it living? Is it alive? Is it bigger than us? Is it bigger than this? And Peter says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does your does yours have like a little exclamation point? Yeah, so does mine. Like Peter can't get over this. Peter can't get over the fact that God has given us life in Christ, and Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits, and now we can follow him. We are alive and our hope is living because it is in him. The word is blessed. The NIV translates it praise. And I'm reminded of that song, you know, Blessed Be Your Name. Do you guys sing that here? Yeah, it comes from Job, right? A lot of churches have been torn up over what would be called worship wars. Styles of music, right? To drum or not to drum. To hymnal or not to hymnal. Here's the real worship war right here. The real worship war is not so matter the, the style. The real worship war is inside of me and inside of you, and it comes down to this. Will we worship Jesus when it's not in style? Blessed be your name. 
when I'm found in the desert place, when I'm walking in the wilderness, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. In the midst of suffering, sing that song to a happy tune and and yet I'm convicted to say the worship war is in me do I really do I really believe that does my life really reflect that and that was the whole deal job right satan goes to god he's only worshiping you he's only living for you because of all the good things you've given him and so god removes those good things And at one point, Job says to his wife, should we only accept from God the good and not the trouble? It's a hard truth. And like I said, if Jesus, if the only thing that God ever gave us was salvation in a risen Savior who paid for our sins on the cross, it would be more than enough to speak out blessings to God forever. And it's his plan to save. That's the second part there. The resurrection of Jesus. We can speak out with praise in the resurrection of Jesus because it's God's plan to save. I don't know about you, but I skip over the first part of, of, of the epistles usually because they're the two from, right? It's kind of like when you get a greeting card. I never, I never read um, the part that was written by the author you know, the one that's printed a million times over again? What I look for is the pen. Now, in the epistles, it's more than just a to and from. There's some really rich stuff. And so what I'd like to do is just go back to the first two verses and we see God's sovereign plan in all of this coming out. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the whole Godhead is, is, is listed here. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. I'm not going to try to wrestle through those names again. Verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. So you got all three of the Godhead involved here in, in salvation. And more than that, this was always God's plan. Look down in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And then down to verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Ephesians 2.2 says that we were objects of wrath without hope. Not a hope in this world. Nothing we could do to save ourselves from our sin, to save ourselves from the inevitable final consequence of sin, death and separation from God. Yet Ephesians 1 says that before the foundations of the earth, God chose us to be predestined in him. Not because he looked into the future and saw that you or I were going to be good or even choose him. 
Ephesians 1 says it was according to his pleasure and his love. No other reason. I kind of look at it like this. God's foreknowledge is not so much knowing ahead of time as much as it is a forelove. In the Bible, knowledge has this intimate connection with with knowledge of, of personality, of affection. That's why it's so often used as a euphemism for lovemaking. He knew her. And so when God says foreknowledge, he's saying, I foreloved them. I forechose them. It, to kind of help understand, it, it's kind of like the, the expectant couple who's going to be having a baby. They don't know really anything about that baby, but you ask them, do you love that baby? And so God, in his sovereignty, planned, chose us. And then through the Spirit, brought conviction of sin and brought us to himself so that we might live lives of obedience to Christ. But there's something more interesting here, and the ESV brings it out way more than the NIV does. I'm so glad you guys use the ESV here. To those who are elect exiles. What's Peter saying here? The NIV brings out the elect side. They use the word chosen. And then they put a comma. But the ESV leaves it as one one big sentence. And remember, these people have been dispersed. They've been sent out. And and, and Peter's reminding them here, you you are chosen. How can we be chosen? We're we're exiles. We've been dispersed. We're being persecuted. And, and, And God is saying, no, 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 you are chosen. And in the midst of suffering, we can have this hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and God's plan, not just because he chose us for salvation, but because God is in control and has chose us for whatever we are going through right now. It's not like God is far off and and, and what we're going through is, is a surprise to him. And I know I'm opening a whole can of words because I don't understand how or why God allows certain things or brings certain things into our lives. But from this text and many others, God is shown to be in control, to be orchestrating a wider purpose and plan. And maybe, just maybe, the storm that you are experiencing in your life right now, the darkness that is coming in, God is bringing and allowing and has chosen for this time. Why? Because it's in the dark that light shines most bright, and it's in the dark that our hope rises to the surface. You know, remember today, think about heroes, and I'll tell you one of the greatest heroes in my life is my cousin Benjamin. And two years ago, this past August, Ben died of lymphoblastic leukemia. He was 19. And Ben has always been, was always, just a great kid. Tons of fun, good kid. Played on all the sports teams, went to church, would preach sermons. His favorite song was Holy, 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 from since he was three. And he fought cancer hard for over a year. 
And what's interesting is, is Ben was all these things, an athlete and a good kid and went to church and went to school and good student and had a girlfriend and all those kind of things. And for whatever reason, God allowed him to get sick. And, and what seemed to happen over time is that, that not the sickness was what made Ben known. It was the hope that Ben had in Christ during those times. What went from being an ordinary good kid became an extraordinary example of faith and hope in Christ. Somehow, God uses these dark times in our lives to bring hope, true hope, real hope, final hope to the surface and allow us to live out the thing that so often gets hidden, which is our relationship with Christ, the things that are most important because we have it so easy. I remember being at Ben's funeral. There were 1,200 people there. They had to hold it in the, in the high school gymnasium in this small town. And everybody's there. And Ben had planned the service ahead of time, and the whole thing was about Jesus. Speak. Speak out about the resurrection of Jesus as the plan of God's salvation. It's unbelievable. And yet we so quickly lose sight of it for these temporary things. Here's the second thing I think that comes out of here. And that's see beyond. See beyond the anticip- with anticipation for the reward that is ours in Christ Jesus. You notice verse 4. It says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So I, uh, I have a 2003 CRV Honda. Great car. Just past 200,000 clicks. I'm thinking of leaving it to my son. He's four. <laughs> It'll last only because it's a Honda. But no. How ridiculous is that, isn't it? Why? Because cars depreciate like crazy. And Peter here is saying, see beyond, see beyond the here and the now with anticipation because of the resurrection of Christ. In him we have this inheritance. Do you ever marvel at the fact that God could have just saved us? He could have just saved us in Christ. But he doesn't just do that. He doesn't just get rid of our sin. He actually adopts us as his own children. This isn't some kind of pity love that just feels sorry for us. This is a crazy love that says, not only am I going to save you from yourself, I'm going to bring you to me in an intimate way as my own children. And I'm going to give you an inheritance that never fails. You're not getting my beat-up car. You're not even getting a nice car. You're getting something that is never going to rust or destroy. Like I said, I have a four-year-old, and and we'll give him gifts. We'll go to Walmart or whatever, and my parents probably think we spoil him. I'm I'm trying my best. I think they spoil him, but that's another story for another day. I'm pointing over there because they're here. Sorry, Mom, Dad. Anyway, we'll go to Walmart, and he'll he'll beg for, for the latest Lightning McQueen car. He already has three at home. It doesn't matter. The one in the package is the one he wants. 
and depending on my mood, and it's just us, and it's on sale, I'll get it for him. Why? Because it makes him happy, and which makes me happy. And then we get home, and you know, just like I do, what happens? Gets blended in with all the other toys, and forget about it, and it kind of just gets old hat. And Peter is saying here, look, this never gets diluted. This never starts to wear. This never loses its charm. This inheritance is going to be as awesome on the millionth day as it was on the first day. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's great. But in trying times, I'm not so worried about whether my inheritance is going to make it. I'm more worried about whether I'm going to make it. Do you ever feel like that? It's like, heaven's great. I, I get that, and I'm not worried about that. But in the here and the now, I'm worried about me. And not in a selfish way. Maybe I worry, I, I'm, I'm doubting, I'm wrestling with my faith. These trials are coming in, and I'm having a really hard time saying, blessed be your name. Maybe you've lost friends because of a standing for Christ. Maybe you have a, a child who's, who's running away from the Lord and, and you and your spouse are, are, are just praying. Praying that God would keep them. See, it's easy, especially in the NIV, to read verses 4 and 5 to think that God, God is guarding or shielding the inheritance for us. But if you look with me at verse 5, it says, Who, not which. In the NIV, this, this comes out even worse, but in the ESV, it's a lot clearer. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you get what he's saying there? So we can race over that and think that God is keeping the inheritance for us eternal and undefiled. But Peter switches and he says, God is shielding you and me for this eternal heritage. The word for guard there is the same word that's used uh, in Jude 24, in the doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you. It's the word guard. See, we can see beyond with anticipation of my reward in Jesus, God powers to shield. To shield us. To keep us in those dark times. And we can have a hope, a hope that, that shines brightly in dark times, not just because it's, it's far off, but because we can, we can rely on a God who is keeping us for that inheritance. And this isn't some kind of, like, when you go to the store and you see a really nice shirt and you give it to the clerk and you put it on hold. 
In the Greek, this is an active tense, an ongoing tense, a beginning and then a continuation. God is continually guarding us for this inheritance. He is continually with us, ongoing, shielding us, guarding us from the things that are going on. Does that mean that we don't go through those things? Yes, we do. But God is keeping us, guarding us, going with us through these dark times and we can have hope because he is keeping us till the end. Peter goes on, he says, in this... You rejoice. In this you rejoice. I used to uh, think that being a Christian meant kind of putting on a brave smile during really hard times. But you notice it says, In this you rejoice in the midst of suffering. In the midst of suffering. Or in the midst of your grief. The word for grief there is the same word used to describe uh, Jesus' grief in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's betrayed. It's the same word that's also used in 1 Thessalonians 4 when it talks about how Christians grieve over the loss of their loved ones. You're like, how can this be? We have this eternal hope and God is guarding us for this hope and, and yet at the same time we can have this grief. Well, that's not too hard to understand. What's really hard to understand is that in the midst of grief, we can also have joy. God isn't this kind of grin and bear it kind of God. And as Christians, I think we try too hard in those times of suffering to keep on this smile rather than going through our suffering, acknowledging and grieving for what it is, but rejoicing in a God who is sovereign who is in control and having hope for what he can do and will do. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. God is not absent in our suffering, nor is Jesus ambivalent in our suffering. He is with us. And if we look down in, in chapter 2, verse 21, it says this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, living hope is seen in us not just when we speak out about the resurrection and give praise, but also when we see beyond with anticipation of a God who has the power to shield to guard us, to bring us to that inheritance. And finally, the last thing comes out in these last few verses. The second half, there's kind of a little parenthesis in verse 7. It says, Though that the test of genuineness of your faith, and then it says, More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The illustration of purifying gold uh, one commentator brings out like this, and it can bring us hope during these hard times. As he says, Peter uses this illustration because it's just common sense that someone who's trying to purify the impurities out of gold doesn't want or go to lose any of the gold. And so as God allows these circumstances into our lives to purify us, to change us, to be more like Christ, we can have confidence that that God is not going to throw away anything that (laughs) that is not of value or is of value. He's making us more like his son as he allows these things to come through us. It, It says to prove our genuineness. To who? To God? Like God is up there trying to see if we really love him even when bad things are happening? It's not the God I believe in. That's not the God in the Bible. I think, I think what's happening here is the proving of the genuineness of our faith is, is for us <laughs> and for those around us. Do you remember Job's wife again and Job and Satan and everybody's just saying, look, you only follow God because it's good. And, and you can think about in times in your life, well, yeah, of course you're a Christian. It's really easy. And things are going really well. No, it's in those times where things aren't going so well. Do you ever wonder? We're having missions conference right now, and, and, and when I hear these stories about what some of our brothers and sisters around the world are facing, it makes me stop and go, Would I be a Christian if that's what it meant? Would I still stand for Jesus if it meant losing my job? Losing my life? Sometimes God allows these trials into our lives to prove the genuineness of our faith, not to him, but to us and to those around us who who are watching, who are looking. When things aren't good, does Jeff still worship God? When things aren't good, does Jeff still say and demonstrate that Jesus is enough? And Peter marvels, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Peter saw him. Peter saw him. And he's marveling, he's going, you guys have never seen him, and yet you love him. And you don't see him now, and yet you, you, you have joy inexpressibly. Now maybe this is the fisherman vocabulary coming out, it's literally rejoice with joy. There is no inexpressible. It's just rejoice with joy. It's like Peter can't capture what he's really trying to say. It's bubbling over with joy, and he can't get over the fact that you haven't even seen Jesus. 
and yet you love him. I've seen him. I met the risen Christ. We had fish together on the beach, but you've never met him. And yet, in the middle, you're suffering for him, and, 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 and during all this time, you're actually rejoicing. And that's the third thing, the final thing, is we, we can spill over with joy in our relationship with Jesus. We can spill over with joy in our relationship with Jesus. As God purposes to sanctify. Through thick and thin, through through all the things that happen, we can we can rejoice in this relationship, this unity that we have with Christ. And I wonder if Peter, when he's penning those words, you've never seen him, is thinking back about Jesus' words to Thomas. Thomas is having so much trouble believing Jesus is risen, and so Jesus allows him to touch his side, and he says, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And so in the midst of our trials, we can have hope, and as Romans 8 says, the whole world is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed and they've been subjected to, the world has been subjected to this, this uneasiness, this upsetness in the hope that one day we will be revealed. That we'll become like Christ. And then Paul says, well, we hope for what we don't see because hoping for what you already see isn't hope at all. And then he goes on to talk about how All things God is working for the good of those who love him, changing us to be like his son. And so that relationship with Christ in the midst of the darkest times, we can know that God is using all of these things. And as 1 John 3 says, when we see him, we will be like him. And everyone who believes this purifies himself or herself in this hope. I don't claim to understand why God allows what he allows. But I do know that in hopeless times, true hope shines. And so often as Western Christians especially, we can be so averse to trials that we we can miss the opportunity we have to be in a position and prepared for people to ask us for the reason for the hope that we have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are alive today, that we worship a risen Lord and Savior. And we haven't seen you. Not like those who walked with you. And yet in your grace and your mercy, you have revealed yourself to us by your spirit. And we thank you and we praise you. Forgive us for uh, holding on to the things of this world so tightly. Forgive us uh, for complaining about our circumstances and, things that um, 
take our attention away from what is truly important. Help us, Lord, in times of hopelessness to display the living hope that you have given us. Help us to shine brightly for you. And as we are prepared uh, to give an answer, may we live lives of hope so that people will ask and that we can tell them of the one who is our hope, the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we give glory and praise. Amen.